Hello and welcome to the Footnotes Podcast. I'm Michael Manfred and here with me is Matthew Heritage. Hello Heritage, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Uh, so, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the discovery of America. And the reason why I picked this topic, I think it's a pretty interesting topic, is because a lot of times, like when I imagine like an American high school classroom, right? And they're like, yeah. the students are like... 14, 15, they're learning about the discovery of America, learning about Christopher Columbus, and some smart ass in the back says, oh, actually, it wasn't Christopher Columbus who was the first European to America, it was actually Lee Erikson. Well, like, which uh, is true, which is true, right? But, I mean, I, I, I guess that is true, but why do we keep learning about Columbus, you know? Like, t- talk to me about this guy, Lee Erikson. Why, why, why do you think he's like the OG man? Well, we'll definitely get back to Columbus for a little bit towards the end, but Leif Erikson is actually the real OG, and is he? it's because he's kind of left out. He's kind of within... People only generally mention Leif Erikson when talking about Christopher Columbus, and that's just deeply unfair because his story is actually really interesting in its own right. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So before we get into the, to the, kind of the meat of the subject, I'll just talk a little bit about uh, the basic details of Leif Erikson. So he was born at around 970-ish, with people born in this time, they really don't have exact dates. He was born around 970, and he died around 1020, right? So 50 years old, not too bad. And yeah, was, that, that's a decent run That's, a decent, that's a decent run. Slog. Yeah. yeah, that's a decent slog. For that I'd time. Be, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Uh, and he was Especially born... at that time, actually. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of that. But anyways, yeah. So he was born in Greenland, uh, which his father, Eric the Red, we'll talk a bit more about him. First of all, the name, Leif Erikson, in the standard... Icelandic uh, naming system you have a first name and then the name of your father and then son or the name of your father and then daughter so that's why it's called uh, Leif Erikson because his father was Eric uh, Eric the Red his father was Eric so I feel called... that would be ridiculously inefficient one to get to stand the line because so you can't be Eric son son the son of Leif Erikson now because ah, Le- Leif, one, if Leif had a son called like Olaf he would be called Olaf Leifsson Oh, so it takes the first name. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Go on. So he was from a family of explorers. So his father, Eric the Red, uh, actually discovered the uh, discovered Greenland. He was the first uh, Nordic person to discover Greenland. And he's a distant relative of this guy called Nadod, who discovered Iceland. So discovery of new land is kind of like in his blood, uh, you, might, you might say. And so that, that, that's some high expectations. Yeah, exactly. You know? There's a lot to live up to. You have a dad <laughs> that discovered Greenland and then a distant <laughs> relative that discovered Iceland. Uh, and so he traveled to uh, Norway uh, from Greenland early in his life uh, to work under uh, Olaf Tryggvason, who was the king of Norway. And it was th- there that he converted to Christianity. Olaf uh, was the first Norwegian king uh, that was Christian, and he converted to Christianity very quickly. And it was it said in the sources that he was sent by Olaf to go to Greenland to convert uh, the Greenlandic people. And after this point, this is where the two main sources, which we'll get more into, the saga of the Greenlanders and the saga of Eric the Red, they have a slight, they have some muddled up where you're not sure which, they have some disagreement, we'll say for now. Um, okay. So he was sent back from Norway to Greenland to convert the Christians. And according to the saga of Eric the Red, which is one of the main sagas, it was at this point where he first discovered North America, right? And his first trip was very short, not not that interesting, really. Um, but what actually happened, according to the Greenland saga, is that 
he got back to Greenland first and then went to North America. But we'll get into all this in a bit. And so actually, okay. depending on which saga you believe, he might not have even been the first European. He so might... you really screwed up this first podcast, <laughs> is what you're telling me. You're not even giving the fact, you're like, oh, who knows? Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on which of the sagas you believe. According to the Eric saga, he was blown off course when going back from Norway to Greenland, and there he uh, discovered two shipwrecked men, unnamed shipwrecked men, and if the Eric saga is to be believed, those two unnamed people were the first Europeans in North America, um, rather than Leif Erikson. But historians, luckily for us, historians say that the, that the Greenland saga, the saga of the Greenlanders, is more reliable than the, Eric, than the saga of Eric the Red. Um, so you've been saved. You've I've been, been saved. saved. I've been saved. Exactly. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about early Norse colonization of North America, right? So Norse Greenland was conquered in the 980s by Eric the Red, and Eric was exiled from Iceland after uh, for manslaughter. He was exiled for three years, uh, and so he sailed west to Greenland, and Eric named it Greenland supposedly to entice potential settlers with an appealing name. So a lot of people wonder why Greenland is called Greenland when it's not green at all. It's it's be- it's, it was a marketing trick, uh, essentially. <laughs> Uh, and so there was some trade with the native Greenlandic population, and there were enough people in Greenland for a Catholic diocese to be formed later in like the 12th century. So there were actually, the, the Greenland settlement was actually a pretty large settlement, unlike what we'll talk about the North American settlements, which were much, much smaller. Okay. So the thing is, with a lot of kind of Viking history, you have these things called sagas, and the sagas, both the saga of Eric the Red and the saga of the Greenlanders, which is the two main sources that talk about the discovery of America, they were written in the 13th century, so around two to three hundred years after the, um, the actual discovery, but we'll talk more about why we know that they're, a- that they're accurate, we know they're not just made up, or at least sure. parts of it, right? Whatever you say. <laughs> I honestly, 200 years, pff, nah. Do, yeah, by like modern history standards, something written 200 years, right? You just throw it out. Like, what's the point of this, right? But, yeah. but actually, well, first of all, this is basically all we have other than yeah. archaeology and a few bits and pieces uh, that are slightly more contemporary. But even then, they're very questionable. So, uh, but the sagas were literary and they were um, very, very broad. So they weren't like sources just about the discovery of America. They talked about uh, Eric the Red, his whole family, what's going on in Norway, what's going on in the Viking world, essentially, from the 9th to the 11th century around, right, we'll say. And so the saga of Eric the Red chronicles uh, Leif's interaction with King Olaf and his baptism, and the saga of Eric the Red says that on his way back to Greenland to convert the Greenlandic population, he was blown off course and then saved two shipwrecked men in places which we now think are in North America. But, as I mentioned earlier, historians consider this saga not particularly reliable. And so that's why I want to kind of move on from that and get more into the Greenland saga, which, okay. is, which is really where the good stuff comes in, right? The, the serious meat. Yeah, 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 yeah. The juicy stuff. Okay, so okay. what you have to understand, right, is that is this guy called, and I'm going to totally butcher this name, Bjarni Herholfsen. It's, it's the effort that counts. It's the effort that counts, right? I'm not claiming to be able to know how to pronounce Norse names, but Bjarni Herholfsen, I'll just call him Bjarni. Bjarni. Right. He sets out from... Turns out you got Bjarni wrong and only Herholfsen, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, knowing my luck. 
probably. But he sets out from Iceland to Greenland in 986 to reunite with his family. Um, but he had never been to Greenland before, and so he wasn't too confident about the route. And so right. Bjarni was blown off course and sighted land that he didn't believe was Greenland because people had described Greenland to him, even though he had never been there. And he basically saw land that wasn't full of ice and fjords. Um, right. And so that's why we, we're pretty sure that this is North America because it's w- west of Iceland, but it's not full of ice. It, so think yeah. about that. And so his yeah. crew, actually his curious crew, wanted to dock in these lands, but Bjarni was determined to go see his family in Greenland so he wouldn't land in anywhere they didn't think was actually Greenland. And so okay. scholars today reckon that the lands he sighted were Newfoundland, Labrador, and Baffin Island. And those three places are going to be important later when we talk more about Leif Erikson, right? Uh, And so when he went back to Greenland, he settled with his father and told the people of the land he saw. And one man took particular interest, and this is where Leif Erikson comes in. Leif Erikson meets up with Bjarni, and and Bjarni is talking about his adventures. And you could just kind of imagine Leif Erikson, his his eyes just light up. He thinks, this is finally my moment, you know? (laughs) My father has discovered Greenland. I have a distant relative that's discovered Iceland. This is my time, right? I'm going to discover some new land. Yes. Um, And so soon after that, he buys Bjarni's ship. And he actually asks his father, Eric the Red, to lead an expedition of um, 35 men to explore the lands that uh, Bjarni saw. And this is where the sagas don't really describe um this is this is where the kind of the style of writing of the sagas comes in it's a lot of facts it's a lot of narrative it doesn't really get into kind of how people are thinking or how people are feeling but you can make one pretty simple conclusion i think just by a bit of deduction about why leaf wanted eric to come it's because leaf was scared i mean leaf at this point he's not even 30 years old and he's going to go sail to land he's never seen before. He's probably quite scared, and that's why he wants his father, Eric the Red, to come with him. But Eric thinks of himself as too old, but he is eventually persuaded by Leif. Um, And so on Eric's way, when Eric is on his way to the ship, he falls off of his horse and injures his foot and sees this as a bad omen and then firmly declines to go with Leif to explore west of Greenland. Um, And then so Leif decides to lead the expedition himself, um, and so the lands, so, so he sets sail from Greenland, and this is where kind of the adventure starts, right? So the lands that he saw that are written about in the saga of the Greenlanders is what scholars agree to be the ones that Bjarni saw, but in reverse order. So first, he goes to what is probably Baffin Island, which is in very, very northern Canada, and he names it Heluland uh, because it was very icy and that has something to do with ice. I don't know. I have no experience with uh, the Norse language, but he calls it Heluland, which is something to do with ice. And then after that, he goes to a place called Markland, which is probably in Labrador, which is also in Canada, but a bit more south. And this was a very forested area. And so immediately they're getting more excited, right? Because uh, you can use wood for resources. Baffin Island's not that interesting, but Labrador, you got more stuff there. And then he finally settles in the place that he will later name Vinland, which is probably in Newfoundland, which is uh, in Canada, but a bit a bit more south. And so Leif and his men were very attracted to this land since the climate was mild, and they f- uh, found uh, one, of, one of their men, who was called Turker, who was a German, who lived with Leif and Eric. He found some vines and some grapes, apparently. The significance of the grapes is quite controversial, among historians because some say that there's no way there could have been grapes there because um, 
Newfoundland isn't isn't south enough for grapes to grow naturally. So some say that Vinland, there's a slight difference in the pronunciation about whether it means like grapes or whether it just means like meadows or something like that. I'm not I'm not, not sure exactly, but there's there's confusion about what exactly Vinland refers to. But in most of the sources, it refers to some kind of vine or some kind of grape type okay. of thing, right? Right. Um, Understandable. It's it's amazing how how easily historians can find this kind of stuff controversial because in these kind of medieval sources right people do people write them in such a way as if they're trying to be ambiguous which historians love debating about um so i'd like to i'd like to raise a point okay yeah. so they found like the grapes right yeah and that was in the greenland saga right? yeah and that saga was in what like 200 years after right about 200 years after so what if right like 200 years after they had grapes but they didn't know back then whether they found grapes so they just stuck it in because i mean like how would they know well, there's, there's actually a source by this guy, Adam of Bremen, I think it's pronounced, who's is like a German medieval chronicler who talked to the king of Denmark. And this is where the first mention of grapes comes in. So ah. if, if it's made up, it was made up very early. Um, ah. it, could, it could have been some kind of berry that they thought it was great. Some people think they're like gooseberries or something Ooh. like that. Uh, so what exactly they found is questionable. So... Okay. When they've settled the whole winter in Vinland, um, there was sporadic, sometimes hostile, sometimes friendly engagement with the natives. A lot of historians believe that hostile engagement with the natives is what eventually led to the decline of the Nordic settlements in North America, uh, which is why they never gained much traction to begin with. There were never more than about 200 people in a particular settlement. Um, but after Leif discovers the area, he goes back to Greenland after the settling for the winter, and then his brothers um, and a lot of other Nordic explorers go to this land. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus mainly on the, the discovery itself, right? Yeah. So for most of history after this point, historians kind of see uh, this as, as, a, as a fantasy. They see this as a literary story you know with very questionable evidence because the sagas themselves are kind of a pseudo history um they're not considered by historians to be on their own particularly historically valuable which is in a lot of kind of um medieval historical text almost basically up until the modern era the the line between history and myth is very blurry you don't have like a firm dense history books which are you know, just 100% factual until much later. Okay. Um, but here's what's interesting. In the 1960s, a team of archaeologists called Helga Ingstad and Anne Stein Ingstad find a archaeological dig near a place called Lance O Meadows, which is a terrible name. The much better name is Jellyfish Cove. It's, yeah, I think the name is French for Jellyfish Cove or something. So we'll just call it Jellyfish Cove because that, okay, that's Cove. a fun name, Jellyfish Cove. Yeah. It's a fun name. So apparently it was some of the locals that had um, that had always lived near these the ruins of some settlements, but they believed that they were native. They were Native American settlements. They didn't really think much about them. But eventually mm. one of the locals that lived near the area told someone who eventually told the archaeologists, and they came... And they explored the site. And throughout the 1960s, it was firmly, firmly concluded that they had to be Nordic because of their similarity to the uh, settlements found in Iceland and Greenland, 
right? So there were not Native American settlements. They were definitely Nordic settlements. And the, the site, Jellyfish Cove, is in Newfoundland. So this corroborates with the other evidence to firmly conclude that the sagas are more or less true. It's still a bit annoying that the sagas disagree. It would be more firm if all of the sagas had more or less the same story. But we know Leif Erikson at some point did settle in uh, modern-day Newfoundland, Canada, right? But the site itself, Jellyfish Cove, um, suggests that the settlement could support a population of about 30 to 160 people, so it's a very small settlement. And the, But the area of Vinland as a whole would have been larger than just the Jellyfish Cove site. Um, okay. So there could have been a couple hundred, but it wouldn't have been as many as Greenland, and Greenland wouldn't have as many as Iceland. Um, but... So that just shows that this is a classic example of something that is written about in a questionable history source. And then centuries and centuries, centuries later, archaeological evidence comes in to support it. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think of that story, Michael? I, I actually don't I, I think, well, considering the fact that we decided to dismiss the saga, yeah, I, I think you, you got away pretty lucky there. You know? <laughs> Uh, you, 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 you were like, mm, this saga, I'm not, I'm not liking where this is going. I'm not, I'm not liking it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel very sketchy that we're just dismissing one entirely. And I'm also very sketchy of the fact that it was written like a whole 200 years after it was done. Like, what mm. the hell, man? You know? So, but um, uh, I feel like, yeah, he really just did his thing. I, 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 whether it's just luck that somehow some guy managed to get blown off course, I feel that's pretty lucky. But overall, Leaf sounds like a nice guy he got there. Um, he, he was a Viking, right? Like, yeah, he I, was a he was I, a Norse explorer. Yeah, that is a bit weird because like my whole sort of like traditional thought of like a Viking was that they had those like horny hats and they like walk in and they just rape and pillage everything. But now nah, this actually seems like kind of like a nice guy who got there. You know, he found some grapes or gooseberries and decided to say, you know what, this is a nice place. Let's sell down. You know, bring a good old you know thirty to hundred sixty and you know just chill about. So yeah, I, I kind of like this. It story. is it is a lot less bloodless than uh, yeah, a lot of yeah. the other stories, a lot of the other Viking stories. Yeah, um, and I, I wasn't expecting that. I had mm. to admit, but a lovely story to tell, mm. and especially Jellyfish Co. I mean, that name, oof. Yeah, it's a good name. Good name. Was there any jellyfish though? You'd assume there would be. Well, it was on the coast, so the jellyfish were probably in the ocean. I don't know. Ah, oh, yeah, they, they would be, wouldn't they? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But walked first and then went to the ocean. <laughs> And so this, now we're going to talk about a little bit about Columbus, right? So, yeah. big question, Michael. Leif okay. Erikson, Christopher Columbus, were they just lucky explorers? Oof. Well, I, I mean, I, I, maybe they are, you know. I think they are because, I mean, surely the guy, you know, like, one of the tales, right? One of the sagas, like you were saying, like, the guy was just blown off course in the Greenland saga. Bjarni, he, was, he just got blown off course and then he saw some land and he was like, you know what? Hell, this might be something else. Mm. Uh, Columbus, I'm not too sure because I don't know enough about him, which I think is a bit weird, you know. But, may, you know, I, I'd say they're both lucky, you know. I, I don't see, like, why not. So That does make sense what do you think? because, of course, I mean, m most of the listeners probably know the basic tale of Columbus that he thought... I <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> well, okay, okay. <laughs> Quick overview of the, of the Christopher Columbus thing. He thought that the Earth was... Three, about three times smaller than it actually was and he didn't know America existed so he thought that you could go from Spain all the to way India, to Asia right? Asia by going around the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean by so by sailing west 
He, yeah, but you, you'd die on that trip, I don't think. But, like, anyway. if America wasn't there, and so the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean were just one ocean, you would die, like, a third of the way. There's no way you could pack enough food and water for, like, a cold people. Yeah, exactly, that's what I was thinking. What dumbass. Yeah, see, so, so, so it is luck. So, yeah, so, luck. So, the, so the basic story is, well, well, obviously, he just got lucky then, because and yeah. even when he got there, he still thought he was in Asia. It didn't occur to him that he had made a mistake, right? But I disagree. I don't think they were lucky explorers. They're both highly skilled explorers and navigators, sure. but neither intended to discover new land. That wasn't... I mean, Leif Erikson, maybe he did because of, of Bjarni. He wanted to explore the land that Bjarni had, had seen, but... And wanted to, like, if you, you know, if be you, on par with his dad. Be on stuff, par with his dad, really exactly. Nice. But the thing is, you can't just dismiss someone as lucky because they were skilled explorers. I mean, Leif Erikson... He was less than 20, he was less than 30, sorry, and then he sets out to sail by himself with, with just his crew and explores this new land. I mean, you got to give this guy some props, right? I mean... I, I, I probably then would give Leaf the credit and not Columbus, because Columbus was a dumbass. I thought they were, you know, he, he just went across was like, oh yeah, I can easily get to Asia. I mean, I understand this to pass, but I, I feel he is more, more lucky, like way mm. more lucky than um, uh, Leaf. Mm. I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you'll agree with that. I, I think there's, there's a, there's a good case of You can't just literally say that they were both useless and they were oh, both yeah, just definitely. lucky idiots, right? There's, yeah, there's more to it than that. Like, also like a settlement and all yeah. that, you know. Um, it's not easy business. Yeah. Uh, and so in both uh, cases, news of discovery spread through Europe, very uh, through, spread throughout Europe, but with different speeds, right? So when Leif had discovered America... The news spread very slowly, first to the chroniclers and then to the kings in Norway and Denmark and things like that. Um, but Europeans didn't venture westward, uh, or non-Nordic Europeans didn't venture westward in 1000 for, for a couple reasons. Mostly lack of technology, obviously. Um, lack of trade incentives, because most of the explorers in the European Age of Exploration, they wanted to create trade links with Asia, and so that's why they were going. And also, in general, Europe was a bit more kind of inward-looking in 1000 than it was in, say, 1500, you know? Yeah, um, okay then. And so, here's another question, right, for you. Okay, another does, question. Does Leif Erikson... Oh, oh you're so professional. You, you are honestly a star. Why? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, fa- thanks for your uh, unprofessionalism there. What can I do? What can I do? You could put on silent for a start. Other than that, what can I do? <laughs> it right, anyways, where were we? Okay. I, I have completely lost where we were going. So, Leif Erikson, right? Leif Erikson, Compared yeah, to Chris Columbus, does yeah. he deserve moral praise for not brutalizing the natives in the same way that the later Spanish conquistadors brutalized the natives after Ooh. Columbus's discovery of America? Quote unquote discovery of America. Okay. Well, I actually have some knowledge. Okay. Oh, yeah, I have knowledge. Yes. And I know that like natives, right? When the when the when the people came, you know, all these Europeans and all that, when they arrived, they brought they brought like disease. So like you can't blame them. They probably didn't know, you know. I, I assume they wouldn't know. So like, I mean, I feel like Lee Ferrickson deserves some like some credit, you know. And I feel he deserves some moral praise. But then again, you know, most natives were killed by disease and just hack and slash. Yeah. You know? So, 
yeah, Leif Erikson, you know. He, I mean, he th- this is where the kind of the vagueness of what actually happened in the Viking settlements comes in. It, it's kind of a bit vague. Some We know some were hostile and some were peaceful, but other than right. that, we don't have that many details. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to pinpoint Columbus directly as being a brutalizer of native people. It was because it was the conquistadors that came after him. And, mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, Cortez deserves more moral blame for that. Um, but, and again, as you say, it's the disease. You can't really say that because the Europeans didn't know they were going to kill 90% of the natives yeah. via disease. Um, yeah. So it's hard to pin moral blame on that. Um, although. Also, like, didn't the natives, um, weren't, the lo- weren't there, like, local tribe fighting as well? Oh, yeah, lots of it. Were they pretty brutal in, like, their own fights? I mean, it's hard to say because we have no written sources of the Native Americans, in North America, at least. That's a shame. That's a shame. We do, I think we do have ones that are, like, Mayan and Aztec sources, but we can't read them. I might be wrong about that, but I think that's true. You probably are. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so. Okay. Now let's talk about why we even talked about this in the first place and why we talked about this is because humans have a tendency Mm -hmm. to prize firsts in history so like the first seven figure population city which was rome in 133 bc and the next in europe was in london in 1810 2000 years later or the first quite a big gap uh yeah yeah but and the first country to the moon the usa first person to circumnavigate the world magellan the first person to climb everest all these firsts first 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 why do why do we care so much about who did it first well you know in in i i just feel like if you're doing something first you know you're taking a step which hasn't been done before like you know on the moon like you know there's all that thing about like one small step for man like one giant leap for mankind since it hasn't been done before surely then you know you had the courage to actually decide to say you know what everyone's doing this you know why don't I try and, like, be different, you know? Why don't you try and, like, do something else? I feel like there's value in that because you're actually... You, you do, you're do you going against, you know, what everyone else is doing, and I feel that's kind of special, you know? And also, like, it's like a race, you know? Like, you know, the space race, you know? The USA, the, the, as you said, the first country to the moon, there's a space race, and I feel like if you win a race, you surely deserve some reward for that. Yeah, but so, some of them were races, but some of them weren't races. Like, discovering America wasn't a race. Leif Erikson didn't go to Vinland and be like, first, <laughs> suck it, everyone else. Well, yeah, I guess you could say, you, you could say that. But then again, even though it isn't a race, he's still like, well, it, it's still the base. I mean, his historians it. would obviously find this stuff interesting because this is the kind of stuff historians find interesting. But why, why, should, why should normal people care who got to, who got to America first? Good question. I, I think that it's valuable not from a strictly historical perspective because a lot of this stuff had very very limited actual impact on history columbus is the major exception because that had a gigantic impact on history but when the first person climbed mount everest what did that actually change like on a historical scale maybe i hope maybe it made a few more people climb mount everest it made exactly it made a few other people think i should also do that right and then there's other ones like circumnavigating the world and magellan yeah that also had a big impact but I think it's just because humans are naturally are naturally curious. We naturally wonder what is out there, what can we do, what are the limits of human potential, and I think that's why we find it valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you say? What else can you say? I I, I think that's 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 special. You know? that, that's very nice. Uh, and so, yeah. so another another thing we talk about 
is whether... We should have ended on that point, to be honest. <laughs> but we'll keep going anyways. <laughs> well, I have more stuff to talk about. Oh, we have more stuff to talk about? Please, tell me more, tell me more. What, do we have, what have we got? Okay, so would you say that the Vikings' kind of technological prowess, getting them all the way to North America, Oof. demolishes the narrative of Europe as being in a dark age, in the medieval era? Oof, what a loaded question, man. You where, do you, have... where do you even start with that question? I, exactly, where would you start? I mean... Because, because we all know the, the basic narrative. Europe was really cool in the classical yeah. age with the Greeks and the Romans, and then it was really sucky after the Romans fell, and then it wasn't really good again until Christopher Columbus. Oof. And then it wasn't really, maybe, really, maybe really good could, again until the Industrial Revolution. Maybe but. this might just be, might just be an exception, though. You could just you, you. I don't think it firmly demolishes it. Do you think no. it's the exception that proves the rule? I feel that's quite. I, I don't think that's actually logically correct. But yeah, we'll go for that. I feel it's the <laughs> exception that proves the norm. <laughs> I I think that it actually does firmly demolish it because the really? the, the concept of Europe as being a totally. Um, isolated place, a totally a place that's only focused on religion and hierarchy is just is it's actually kind of Western European centric. It's because when we think of medieval Europe, we think of um, France and the Holy Roman Empire and mm-hmm. and you know the papal states and the Gothic places and things like that. But we don't care so much about the Nordic world because the Nordic world in the modern era. So when France and Germany and Spain were dominant, the Nordic era was kind of seen as kind of not in the center of the historical narrative, right? And so yeah. it's kind of kind of like where the beginnings of kind of the outside world. So it's kind of like barely Europe um, in that sense. But the Nordic world was part of Europe, and I think it does show that Europe wasn't in some kind of dark ages, that that narrative should be dismissed and i think i'm pretty sure it is dismissed by most historians these days especially medieval historians but historians in general mm. pretty sure and so we'll end on a note talking about what does it mean in terms of validity for a source to be written two three four hundred years after the event it describes and it's supposedly a kind of a first-hand source Sure, surely, right. As soon as you started this podcast and you started talking about the sagas, when were they written? Oh, 200. Oh, that, that's like way after, you know? And maybe maybe that's because I'm too used to like modern history and everything being written like as soon as it happens, you know? Mm. Like, well, you know, uh, people don't like write about Versailles, you know, a good 200 years after it's happened and then after. Because I feel like, you know, all the interesting facts and all the interesting detail will just disappear. And also, I feel like after all that time, it, it's not going to be myth, but I feel like it might start to become more like legend, and then I, I just feel like the facts will end up being lost. So, I, I, yeah, I, I see I, what I you're like, saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think there's a few. I think you're generally true. You're generally correct, but there are a this few. Is the exception. There are a few kind of tips or a few kind of tricks you can use to determine the accuracy of sources. So, if you have the sagas right. If you mm-hmm. have one, if, if a lot of the sagas are generally inaccurate, it generally means that if you find new sagas, they'll also be inaccurate. But if, you, if, but right. if the sagas are accurate in general, you could say that a new saga that you find is going to be pretty accurate. But the clearest example is when you have archaeological evidence. Because archaeology, oh, yes. unlike history, that's based in like natural science, right? Yeah. And so when you have that stuff, corroborate it with sources written even two three hundred years afterwards then you have really good historical evidence 
but I, I do see on its own it's very problematic and you have you kind of have to approach the study of history when you're using uh, sources like this in a very different way to when you like approach history when you have about 10,000 pages in archives of sources that are actually contemporary also I feel like since it's so for example like the, the saga of Eric Durrett it's called a saga, and I feel like did did they name it a saga? Because I honestly I feel like the name of like saga it, it already creates this impression that this guy's this amazing hero or something. Yeah, it has it has I, I connotations. Because like if you're going to write something and then you decide to call the title like the saga, you know the saga of the Icelanders, you know this amazing saga of Eric the Red, mm. it, it, or Eric the Viking, it already creates this sort of like impression that he's like a hero, it's like something really awesome, and you're really hyping him up. Yeah, and I feel that's going to get in the way while you're writing it, you know. Yeah, that is possible. So, so it, it has connotations of exactly, of, yeah. of heroism and like a bias towards a yeah. certain narrative that glorifies yeah. particular people. That's that, that's definitely that, true. You know, that's definitely. True. I'm not saying that the heroism's bad, but I'm just saying like if you're going to like, it, it, I feel it's a good story. But if you're going to like look at it from like historically and try and break down the events, I feel like it would be um, it would be uh. It wouldn't be as like valid, you know. It wouldn't be as strong as someone that's just saying, "Oh, these are the facts. This is the timeline." Yeah. You know, bosh. Definitely. Right, and I think that's about it. So, thank you very much for listening to this ah, episode ah, of the thank you. Footnotes Podcast. Uh, the logo was created by uh, Maylie Helen Manford. Uh, you can find everything, all the sources in the episode notes, if you want to read more about all these sagas and more about. Uh, Leif Eriksson, who maybe he, he probably he possibly isn't the first European. So possibly who knows? the discovery possibly. of America. We'll, we'll leave it with that. Possibly not the first European. This might have been a glorious waste of time. Who knows? Maybe in one year they'll find out he wasn't. <laughs> who knows? Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, and ta-ra. <laughs>